The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. Every once in a while, uh, there's a gospel lesson that I think uh, really applies to me. And in fact, I think this one is for you and for me. I've always liked this one in part because uh, I always thought if there was hope for the centurion, there was hope for this old Air Force guy. (laughs) So that's part of it for me, I'm sure. The ministry of Jesus had come to the point where there were large crowds following him. It was not just the twelve, but there were also those others that might have considered themselves disciples as well, true followers of Jesus. And then there were the hangers-on, those who were interested in his message, thought what he said was perhaps clever, perhaps challenging, and they were amazed at all the healings that were going on. So all of that was attracting an ever-larger crowd. And the story says that after Jesus had told them these sayings, then he went on and came to uh, Capernaum. And he's met there by some of the city elders. They come to him on behalf of the centurion, the one who has Roman authority over them in that region. And they tell him that the centurion has a slave whom he values very much, but who is very, very sick and close to death and wondering if if Jesus will heal him. Well, I think that in order to get into this story, we need to first be clear about uh, what a centurion was. As with any kind of stereotyping, uh, unfortunately, we kind of have categories into which we fit people. And the, the, the unfortunate aspect of that is that it ignores all the peculiarities, all of the, uh, all of the individuality that's found in any particular group. And I think that's perhaps true when we think of a centurion. When we were living in Turkey, uh, one of the things that I noticed that was quite interesting was that the 
army rank of captain and the rank of major still carried an old designation that was much like the kind of designation the centurion's title carried. Uh, and, and, on, uh, see, an, an onbashi, no, an uzbashi, was head of ten. Uh, uz is ten and bash is head, uzbashi. A binbashi was head of a thousand. And in this case, of course, the centurion carries that title as one who is head of a hundred. And they were probably uh, leading troops of 80 to 100 in number. And I think we would be naive if we, if we thought that uh, this centurion wasn't a real Roman soldier. Uh, Roman army was feared throughout the Roman world. And one can imagine that this centurion had probably engaged in some acts that we would find repugnant. He was a real person. Three-dimensional. He was. He did good things and he did bad things. In this particular community, however, he seemed to be one who had fallen in love with the people. He cared for them. He wasn't just there as a peacekeeper, but rather he had become, it seems, a part of the community, even to the extent of building them a synagogue. So this was someone that the community valued, and they saw him as someone who cared for them. A man who was humble, but also understood what it was to have power. Well, it's, it's a very interesting story, I think, because we see in this centurion faith that is perhaps hard for us to get our mind around. Uh, it's interesting to me that the centurion never meets Jesus. And perhaps even more interestingly, we don't ever meet the one who needs the healing. We only know that that person was healed. And the thing that we must keep in mind is that both the centurion and probably the one who was healed were Gentiles. They were not part of the nation of Israel. So it's it's a, a dramatic story when you think about how Jesus crossed lines in very interesting ways as he came into Capernaum and was invited to heal the centurion slave. The question that, that comes up in my mind is, uh, what was the faith of the centurion? And what was it based on? I think that, you know, as you read the story, and you might read it again at home, uh, it appears that the centurion had faith in Jesus because the centurion could see in Jesus someone who had authority, not unlike the authority that he had. This centurion knew that because of the emperor and because of Roman law, he had certain power and authority so that if he told someone to go, they would go to come. They would come. And if he directed his servant to do something, they would do it. And he understood from what he had heard from others, apparently from Jesus teaching and the account that he had heard of, of healings, that Jesus had an authority like his, except that it was from God. So I think he believed truly that if Jesus commanded anything to happen, that it would happen because Jesus had authority like he had authority. I think that that gives us some insight into how faith is acquired. I don't think we're ever brought to faith by theological argument. I've sat through a lot of classes of theology and they wouldn't necessarily bring me closer to faith, I don't think. 
But I have heard the stories of God working in people's lives. And I've read the stories of how God has worked in the lives of those that we find in Scripture. And I have thought about and meditated on the images that are so powerful that come out of Scripture. But above all, I think it is encountering the work of God in another person's life and where that connects with what's going on in my own life. And in a moment, I'm transformed. I have been changed. And I think that's what happened to the centurion. I think somewhere along the line, he heard something, he met someone, someone spoke to him about what Jesus had done. And in that moment, that centurion could believe that someone could have the authority from God, not unlike the authority that he had from Rome. I think there's another very important aspect of this story that is important for you and for me. I think that one of the hardest things for us to believe, I mean really believe here, not just here, is that God loves us. God truly loves us. And I think part of the reason that we find it hard to believe that is because we know ourselves just enough. We have all the data. It's interesting to me that the centurion doesn't consider himself worthy to encounter Jesus personally. But the elders who went to Jesus saw worthiness in the centurion. And they come to Jesus and they say, he is worthy for you to see. He is worthy for you to help. The centurion's friends, when they came to Jesus, they uh, they told him, you know, don't don't go to his house. This is what he says to you. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. Those of you who are from the Roman Catholic tradition will, re- will uh, resonate with those words uh, at the end of the Eucharistic prayer and before communion. The congregation joins together in saying, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I think that it's important for us to recognize that we, we know ourselves well enough to know we probably aren't worthy of all that God has for us. But God does not look upon our worthiness or lack of worthiness. Rather, God is like uh, that good father or that good mother who cares so much for the child, even when the child is being impossible, that God still loves God's children just as that mother and that father loves their children. In our own tradition, we have a prayer which uh, has not been used very much in the last 20 or 30 years uh, because I think it's been heard uh, as, as kind of groveling before God. But uh, every now and then, I find myself drawn to it because I think it holds up before us the reality of our lives, but the, also the reality of God and God's love and God's grace for us. It's the prayer of humble access. It's found on page 337. If you have a prayer book that hasn't been opened in a year or so in front of you there, (laughs) it'll crack when you open it. (laughs) 
page 337. And it's, uh, it was, it's been used for many, many years until we uh, got to the uh, 79 prayer book and we tended to move away from it. But periodically, I think we need to hear it. This is that prayer. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Our faith is in a God who always shows mercy. We know our shortcomings. We know our failings. We know the besetting sins that dog us. But I think that God doesn't care much about that. God is looking for a contrite heart. For one who is willing to come to God and simply open their hands and open their arms and receive God's grace and receive God's forgiveness. God always pours out God's grace upon his people. And I think another thing we must never forget is that God's love is unending in life and in death. God is always, always with us, caring for us. So, yes, I think this text is for you and for me. A bunch of unworthy Gentiles taken in by a loving God. Amen.